You are listening to part two of the H1B webinar Q&A section. If you have any further questions, please tweet us at EIG Nerds Podcast on Twitter. We'll be happy to continue the conversation. We have about 10 minutes left, so we have about 10 minutes of questions that, that we can do. So, so this is a very good question. So somebody with a bachelor's degree who's applying and they only have a bachelor's degree, does does the new proposed rule impact it's going to is it going to lessen their chances the answer is yes it's going to lessen your chance by by you know the three to four percent that that is supposedly going to help out folks with master's degrees another question that came up earlier and and it may be kind of going over ground we covered for does this have any impact at all just to be clear as far as anyone who's already on an h1b visa um, or if they're filing an amendment or moving employers you, you know does it have any impact at all this proposal on, on those individuals? No, it doesn't. In short, this is uh, applicable only to the H-1B lottery system. It is a question that has come up in terms of internal conversation, and that is the concern that this pre-registration system is going to turn into a bit of a filtering tool for future cap seasons. I mean, there's really admittedly on USCIS's part no mechanism in place currently to prevent the flooding of the system, right? But then when I was reading the rule, they also explicitly mentioned that they are plan on data mining and monitoring the petitioner's yeah. filing and registration practices, right? Mm-hmm. They're so, going to track all that. So they're going to keep their eye out to make sure to observe how many requests or pre-registrations each company is submitting for how many individuals and whether or not those individuals are under the regular cap or the master's cap, right? So, I mean, what are y'all's thoughts in terms of the ability to utilize this pre-registration system as a filtering tool? I think in theory, the pre-registration idea, you know, it makes some practical sense, right? I think the concern would be there aren't safeguards in place to prevent um, potentially fraudulent actors, or not even fraudulent, but just, you know, the, like we said, the flight into the system. And then as far as the data mining, we've seen kind of increased efforts by not only the Department of Homeland Security, uh, but the Department of State over the past several years. You know, the Department of Labor um, certainly has kind of a treasure trove of information available. I think the concern at this point, and especially um, over the the past two years, would be the use of this information and how is it going to be used moving forward. Um, Because if it's only going to be used in a way to try to discourage or um, go against kind of the purpose and the economic benefits of these these visa programs, that's a problem. Um, Whereas if the data is used, you know, there's ways to use it that that are reasonable. But I do think the, the larger concern would be kind of how the current um, administration and their approach to these visa programs overall will use that information moving forward. So I do, that's certainly a concern. Yeah. Hey, but here's a question for you. So this has been something that's that's been kind of a rumor, um, but maybe we can just kind of flesh this out. And and uh, so somebody has a question: Is there anything in the in the new proposed rule uh, with regards to salary requirements? Yes and no. I mean, I don't recall reading anything that addressed salary requirements directly, right? Mm -hmm. But that being said, um, towards the end of the 139 pages, and I did read all 139 pages, um, towards the end, there is a specific mention that they don't anticipate that this is necessarily going to cause too many changes to the applicant pool or the demographics of like H-1B beneficiaries and applicants, but they do anticipate that this is going to impact the rate of pay. 
you know, so it's almost as if they're, they're, they're anticipating or expecting, expecting, I think is a better word, that if this is indeed going to result in a higher number of folks with advanced degrees being selected and subsequently hired, then this is also going yeah. to naturally lead to an uptick in the minimum salary that's being paid to these H-1B beneficiaries. Yeah, well, I, I think the jury is out in terms of, um, from a, a, a pure probability standpoint, you know, whether whether it, it's going to result in, you know, more than a 3%, you know, it may it may uh, result in a nominal increase of master's folks being selected. If the but, goal is to really, you know, kind yeah. of move towards a merit-based system or, you know, increase the percentage of master's yeah. graduates. Then they have to go through Congress to change the, the numbers that are allotted instead of, you know, the 20,000 or the, six, uh, the 65,000. I think what this bill does is it tries to eliminate paperwork, which we're all for. You know, I think the purpose... You've been paper-free for a few years now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, but I think just to, to shed a, a bright light on what this is and what this isn't, it's not going to lead to... It's not, a, it's not a magic bullet for, you know, more folks with masters getting selected. We're talking about a nominal increase if, if that isn't offset by, by more bachelor's uh, applicants applying. And, and I don't think it's, it is what the, the current administration tries to bill it at, which is uh, a merit-based you know, application to the H-1B lottery. It's, it's just not that. And I also think just going back to Hibba's point, so when, you know, when the proposed rule came out in 2011, which um, I vaguely remember, you know, being the fact that I'm old and <laughs> have been practicing since then, you know, they, they kept it open for 60 days, which meant that they really encouraged, you know, feedback. I think keeping it open for 30 days means that the, you know, USCIS, you know, maybe they really don't want to hear critical feedback about what this will do for companies, what this will do for, you know, the, the folks that it's going to impact. So um, if they really wanted to kind of hear the results of, of what this may do to, to companies and, and individuals, they'd keep it open for 60 days. I think they're trying to jam something through before cap season. And I think to Hibba's point, um, I think it's, you know, probably probably not going to happen, uh, at least at least for this fiscal year. So I think we have time for one more question. So this is this will be the last question. So can an individual uh, who gets offers from multiple uh, employers say they get an offer from Salesforce, they get an offer from Netflix, they get an offer from Google, can all those companies apply for that individual? They can pre-register for that individual. Um, there's nothing stopping an individual who has job offers from more than one employer submitting pre-registration you know, under this proposed rule. The, the restriction would be on, say for example, company A submitting more than one pre-registration request for the same individual, right? So if you just take a look at the text of the proposed rule on its face, no, you can, you, you can have your multiple job offers submit pre-registrations on your behalf and it's fine. The conspiracy theorist in me sometimes feels like USCIS will use this as a filtering tool to, you know, to search and identify how many pre-registration requests one particular individual received. But then again, that's just me kind of speculating. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to either decrease your chances of being selected under the lottery or penalize you in any way, you know? And people have done that before, too. I mean, yeah. that, you know, it's not really a new phenomenon. It's just going to be made much, much simpler. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Should this go through? 
All right, so we're going to uh, close the webinar at this point. Uh, we'd like to thank everyone who's joined us today. You know, obviously, we've been in an exciting time from an immigration perspective, you know, the past two years. And, and uh, you know, I think we were kind of all expecting this to happen at some point, maybe not this fiscal year. I think the key thing that we'd like to point out for everyone who's listening, including our our clients or, or, or non-clients, is that you know we will continue on with CAP as usual this year. And then obviously any changes or announcements with regards to the registration process, I would encourage folks to uh, subscribe to our dispatch, our Glomo alerts. And then you know once I'd say we have more details um, about the, the registration process, we will probably hold another webinar or do a podcast with, with our analysis. Um, so we'd like to thank you for joining today. Uh, have a great rest of your Thursday and uh, happy holidays. For more content and immigration updates, please visit our website at eiglaw.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter at EIG underscore law and our Instagram underscore EIG law to join in the conversation. Thanks for listening. See you next time.